0: Friends, good morning. Good to be back with you after my brief hiatus last week. Grateful to Chris Hammock, who was able to step in and uh, preach for me last Sunday on very short notice. But uh, good to be back with you. Uh, Good to see you this morning. Let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. begin today by reading our passage to us, being verses 29 through 39 today. So find your way there, please, and let's read this as we begin this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, His inspired, his inerrant, and his authoritative word. May he bless what we've just read. and Let's pause again and ask for his help as we look into these verses. Strengthen us with your grace, Heavenly Father. I pray you'd strengthen me and my uh, throat this morning. I pray that you would strengthen our ears today to hear your truth. Uh, As we pray, as Chris prayed last week, I pray again. Send your spirit afresh. Open our eyes and ears to see and hear what your word has to say. Uh, Jesus, uh, make it living and active before us. May it convict convict us, may it comfort us. Savior, do your work uh, in our midst Uh, This morning we pray in your precious name. Amen. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. This was the advice given to a pastor by his mentor and friend after moving to a large city and taking a job at a large church. This pastor uh, called his mentor friend one day. And describing the new, place, new pace of life he was experiencing, the, the state of his family life, and the condition of his heart, he asked his friend what he should do to remain spiritually healthy. His friend and mentor replied, You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Okay, he replied and pulled out his pen. That's a good one. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry what else is there There was a long pause on the phone and his wise friend replied there is nothing else you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life so how does that advice come across to you and I can just see maybe a few of you armchair theologians shaking your heads and thinking oh brother Uh, What does this have to do with anything? Uh, And uh, I just asked if you might agree with this uh, or not. Maybe you think it's bad advice, not to mention just completely unrealistic in this age of information that we live in. I mean, what was he thinking, saying these words? So if you regard this advice as unhelpful, um you know I've led you into a trap. Because this is the very thing we witness in our passage this morning. You're going to have trouble with Jesus today. What we find in these verses is Jesus doing this very thing, ruthlessly eliminating hurry in his life to pursue quiet communion with his Father. The pastor in our story eventually saw the wisdom in his mentor's advice and wrote these words later, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Mark chapter 1, in this part of Mark 1, we're in the middle of what many have described as the busiest day of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, This incredibly full day began in verse 21, up in verse 21, uh, with the service at the synagogue, which says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Two weeks ago, uh, we, we heard the authority of Jesus' words as he was invited to uh, address those present as a, as a guest teacher. And we heard the authority of his words as he, as he taught. Uh, then, he, then we saw the power of his words as he commanded and expelled a demon from one of the men who was present that day. This morning, Uh, In verse 29, Mark continues his breathtaking pace describing the rest of that day's events. Um, Mark describes, first of all, uh, Jesus' public activity on that day. Uh, Mark recounts two events that took place in front of other people. Um, uh, The first is the healing of a mother-in-law. Uh, Look at verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. This miraculous event takes place right after service in the synagogue. Uh, Immediately following that event we studied two weeks ago, Jesus and his first four disciples made their way down the street in Capernaum to Peter's house. Archaeologists have discovered a house just a short distance away that they believe can reasonably uh, be said to be the house of Peter and Andrew. Uh, this house was built with an inner courtyard, had dwellings around this inner courtyard, and you access the courtyard through uh, a, a gate from the street. Um, they've also discovered uh, on the walls of this dwelling Christian graffiti and They believe that this house might have served as an early gathering place for Christians, an early church, uh, perhaps. And Jesus and his four men make their way to Peter's house probably to have a meal. Kent Hughes notes that it was customary to have the main meal of the day following the synagogue service uh, around the sixth hour, which would have been our uh, lunchtime, noon, 12 o'clock, But when they arrive, they don't find a meal prepared for them. They find this in verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. In this era, people weren't aware that a fever was a sign of an infection in the body. They thought fever was just a separate illness. Sometimes... Uh, it was believed that these were associated with demon possession, sometimes uh, with uh, associated with God's discipline. Mark doesn't tell us the reason, just that the disciples tell Jesus uh, that Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. And note what Jesus does in 31, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. These have the ring of an eyewitness account. Remember that Mark's gospel is essentially Peter's account of Christ's life. And you get the picture of Peter perhaps reflecting on this event right in front of Mark and Mark writing it down. And as he's reliving it for Mark, Peter is seeing this event all over again in his mind's eye and they, they have the ring of someone who was present. Uh, they, they they bear the authenticity of someone who was there. Mark's words also describe a, a significant display of compassion. Uh, Jesus' sympathetic love and, and condescension to Peter's mother-in-law. And they also demonstrate that, that his touch completely healed her. This is what that last verse says. Of uh, last phrase of verse 31 says and she began to serve them not because that was her place it's because she was immediately well enough uh, to begin serving uh, that, was the, that was the conduct of a disciple to serve As even Christ said that he did not come to be served but to serve using the same word You recall, well, I can bear firsthand testimony that when you get over a fever, it takes a day or two still to feel better. Well, at least I never pop right up. If you're Superman and this doesn't apply to you, well, then forget it. But it usually takes a day to get your strength back. But Christ's healing is so complete that there's no period of recuperation required. She's immediately up and and can serve and minister to Christ and his, his four disciples. So first in this day in the life, we see the healing of a mother-in-law, but then Mark goes on to describe the healing of many. Uh, he continues his account of, of his public activity describing how Jesus heals many, many from the town who come desperate for healing and desperate for deliverance. Look at verse 32 in your Bible. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick, or oppressed by demons. The time of the day is important. And Mark draws your attention to sundown to show you that the Jewish Sabbath had officially come to an end. During uh, that, that time... With well, the Jewish Sabbath lasted until sundown on Friday night, until Saturday uh, uh, on uh, sundown on Saturday night, and during that time, uh, Jews were not allowed to work or travel, and and this was a requirement strictly enforced by the Pharisees, who had added their restrictions to the law of Moses and prohibited people from. A great many things, and through this statement, Mark indicates not only how corrupt the Jewish faith had become, but also how thoroughly its leaders had failed the people of God. Uh, they come after sundown, after after they're allowed to travel and carry these people. They weren't supposed to carry burdens on the Sabbath, and so that's why sundown is significant. And and note that Mark also makes a a distinction between sickness and and demon possession. Uh, Not all sicknesses were caused by unclean spirits. Some were, uh, definitely. Other sicknesses, though, were simply the result of of living in a fallen world in which our sovereign God allowed people uh, to become sick. Not all sickness, though, is the result of of demonic activity and, and look at the desperation of the townspeople uh, of those in in Capernaum in verse 33 and the whole city was gathered together at the door I wonder if you can picture this in your mind of of the immense crowd of people who had gathered very important to see how desperate they are uh, for a touch um, Jesus had obviously become the talk of that ta- town because of the day's events his, his teaching and casting out a demon in the, in the synagogue and then healing Peter's mother-in-law from her fever and with this power and authority reported all over Capernaum a large crowd what seemed like the whole city shows up at Peter's door Uh, gathered at the entrance of his home, desperate for a touch from Christ or to be delivered from unclean spirits. It was back in uh, 2010 that seven of us from New Covenant traveled to India. A couple of my co-travelers are present in the room today. And our goal on that trip was to find out if we could hold medical clinics there like the ones we were doing in Guatemala in the summer. And in India, the day of our first clinic, we tried to arrange it like the clinics we had worked in. In Guatemala, Dr. Harry and a couple others were attending to uh, the people's physical needs, and others of us were trying to attend to their spiritual needs. Max and I attempted to conduct a, a gospel station where, where we told people the good news. We quickly realized that our interpreter uh, could barely speak English and wasn't uh, really much of an interpreter after all. Um, and so we resorted simply to praying for the person sitting in the chair in front of us. There was, we were in a small room there was a large crowd behind us. And as soon as that person stood up, I mean, they couldn't understand us. And we were simply praying for the Lord to touch them and save them and make them well. As soon as they stood up, it, there was jostling to take the chair. It was like m- musical chairs with one chair. Uh, people were um, that intent in uh, in sitting and being prayed for. This is the kind of thing that's taking place here in verse thirty three. There's 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 desperation here. And and the compassion that Jesus showed earlier to to Peter's mother in law, he now extends to all who gathered there at the door. It says in verse thirty four, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. He was very cautious about allowing people to identify him. The demons, of course, knew his true identity, but because people constantly misunderstood the nature of his kingdom and what he was there to do as their Messiah, he He jealously guarded his identity. But even guarding his identity, Mark tells us that in his profound compassion and and sympathy, that Christ healed and delivered many from the town. And and we can imagine this is something that would have lasted well into the early hours of the morning. And so we see Christ not only healing a mother-in-law on this very full day, but also healing many from all over the town. And this brings that single day in his ministry to an end. And Mark finishes it off by describing Jesus' public activity, his healing a mother-in-law and healing many. What a day! Uh, an incredibly full, an incredibly glorious day in the life of Christ. Listen to Charles Spurgeon refer to this day. He describes it in glowing terms. Uh, Surely this day was worthy to take a front rank among the days of the Son of Man. It was a day from which, to date an era, heaven and earth and hell were all affected by it. That pure teaching, opening the mystery of the kingdom, that healing energy, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) excuse me again, setting forth uh, the power of the redeeming King, Children and unlettered peasants could repeat the chronicle of that day of grace. It was a heavenly day and grew even brighter as the shadows fell. This is Christ's public activity and what takes place in front of his men and the townspeople. But then he goes on to describe something far more important. Next, Mark goes on to describe his private activity. Having described his public activity, Mark goes on to describe his private activity. And there are four elements in his private activity that I want you to notice. The first element that Mark mentions, uh, maybe obviously, is privacy. Jesus pursues solitude and isolates himself from other people. Look at verse 35 with me. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. Notice that to to achieve solitude, Jesus rises before other people are up and about and before the normal activities of the day started to take place. Uh, it's a clear priority to Jesus and and he he pursues it before anything else can interfere it says further that to ensure his solitude he left the city to find a desolate place that is somewhere that was deserted, uh, somewhere isolated somewhere that was away from other people to begin with then one element of of Jesus' uh, private activity is privacy. He, He pursues solitude before the day begins and the distractions of work and other people. This is closely connected with the second element that Mark mentions, and that's prayer. Prayer is the reason that Jesus pursues this solitude. He, he pursues solitude to be alone with His heavenly Father and commune with Him. And, and the last phrase of verse 35 says that, and, and there He prayed. or And there He was praying. It's ongoing. It, it takes place over a, a period of time. For some time He is out there alone praying. Why? Were privacy and prayer such a high priority for Jesus so that He gets up before the Son and other people, why does He pursue these things so early in the day before anything else is started? (coughs) The reason is because through privacy and prayer, Jesus received guidance and strength from His Father. He needed guidance from the Father. He needed strength from the Father. Listen to him explain this in John 5. It says there, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And then a few verses later, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And then in chapter 8, Jesus says to the Pharisees, When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. The reason that Christ placed such a high priority in privacy and prayer was because he received guidance and strength through quiet communion with his Father. Or in other words, Jesus is ruthlessly eliminating hurry from his life to pursue quiet communion with his Father. So, I want you to understand that this is a principle of first importance. This is a principle of first importance. If Jesus, the Son of God, sought guidance and strength through communion with his Father how much more do you and I need guidance and strength from our daily communion with Christ? Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own in John 5 and John 8 here. I can do nothing on my own. And then in John 15, Jesus turns around and says, you can do nothing on your own. For example, he says in verse 4 of that chapter, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And the next verse, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Pastor Kent Hughes says, if Jesus prayed in order to live a godly life full of power, so must we. This is an overpowering argument. Jesus is the eternal God incarnate, the creator of all who holds everything together by his power, yet he still lived by and in prayer. So secondly, we see on the very heels of privacy, we see prayer connected to it. That's the reason for the privacy, so he can pursue quiet communion with his Father. Mark names a third element in this private activity, and that is popularity. I'll explain. He, he In Jesus' quiet communion with the Father, because of his quiet communion with his father, the need for public popularity was eliminated. He didn't need it. Look at verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Uh, Searched is a a very, uh, it's it's rather graphic. It, It means they were conducting an urgent manhunt for Christ. If they would have had time, they would have put his face on milk bottles. It was that urgent that they find him. Uh, They were hunting him down, you could say. uh, Searching diligently. Verse 37 goes on to say, And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. There's There's a note of frustration. And even maybe a word of reproof in Peter's words to Christ. Uh, Lord everyone's looking for you as if if to say don't you know the people are demanding more of what they saw yesterday and what they experienced more teaching, more miracles more deliverances from demons what are you doing out here this is no way to build your popularity come back to town Lord and give them what they want Maybe with a voice more whiny than even that. And Peter reveals here just how out of step he is with Jesus' agenda. It won't be the last time. Peter is the only named disciple that tries to prevent Jesus from fulfilling his mission. His phrase also reveals what the people in town are really after. He says, Everyone is looking for you. Or everyone is seeking for you, which sounds great, but when Mark uses that term, looking or seeking, it is not to be confused with seeking Jesus in faith. Mark always has a negative connotation when he uses that term. Crowds are looking for Jesus not because they understood his claim to be the Messiah, God's anointed king, and not because they want to repent and believe They're looking for Jesus simply because they wanted something more from him. Again, let me read from Kent Hughes. He says, Jesus addressed those with this motive after he fed the 5,000, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They cared little about the spiritual implications of Jesus' miracles and teaching, but, but much about the material and temporal It is natural to want a magic Jesus, but we must always remember that God is not someone to be used. He is to be loved, worshipped, and served regardless of what comes in this world. And so this is the third element we see here. Popularity. His his quiet communion with the Father eliminates uh, the need for public popularity. There's one more thing that we see here one more element to this private activity and that's purpose Jesus quiet communion with the father renews his purpose as God's anointed king and we see this in verse 38 and he said to them let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I came out meaning not just come out from the city but why I have come out into the world This is why I'm here. To preach that God's kingdom has come through Him, God's King. And to announce that people could enter His kingdom and find eternal life if if they would repent and believe. Christ was not out to increase His own popularity, but to increase the kingdom of God. He didn't come to camp in one town and build His influence and popularity He came to preach the good news of the kingdom to those who who needed it most. And further, he came to preach the good news to as many as possible. He says, let's go to the, the next town or neighboring towns. And that word indicates that these other cities aren't quite what Capernaum is. They don't have the same status. They're not the center of influence that Capernaum was. These are not influential towns. They're just ordinary cities. And he must go to these places to communicate the the good news of the kingdom to, to those who need it desperately. And through this quiet communion with the Father, His His purpose is renewed. His purpose for His time on earth is is renewed. Alone with the Father. So, one scholar kind of pulling all things together sums up this private activity uh, with these words. And he says, The work of the Son of God is both an inward and an outward work. Jesus cannot extend himself outward in compassion without first attending to the source of his mission and purpose with the Father. And conversely, his oneness with the Father compels him outward in mission. The significance of Jesus' ministry consists not simply in what he does for humanity, but equally in who he is in relation to the Father. If you didn't get all that, In other words, he's saying the public activity of Christ was completely dependent on the private activity of Christ. Christ was able to teach and heal and deliver in the way he did because of his quiet communion with the Father. This is why he ruthlessly eliminates hurry from his life. This is why he gets up before the sun and before people to, to pursue communion with his Father. It's because his earthly ministry depended on it. In the same way, my friend, your public activity for Christ is completely dependent on your private activity with Christ. This is why you and I must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives to pursue quiet communion with Christ. Our success as his followers depends on it. Do you want to succeed as a husband? I don't know anybody who sets out to fail as a husband. Do you want to succeed as a, as a wife? Your private activity, your communion with Christ depends on it. Do you want to succeed as a father? Or is it your goal to to be a deadbeat dad? Do you want to succeed as a as a mother? Your quiet communion with Christ depends on it. It it might sound like I'm really walking on thin ice. How can you say that? Wow. I simply read what's here. If Christ had to do it, then how much more do we? If you want to be successful in your calling as a witness to Jesus Christ, to share the good news of the kingdom, to share the good news of Christ's payment for sin to those around you, guess what? It depends on your quiet communion with Jesus Christ. our public activity for Christ is completely dependent on our private activity with Christ. So why should you and I ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives to pursue quiet communion with Him? Uh, The answer is we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives to pursue quiet communion with Christ Because our success as followers of Jesus depends on it. It depends on it. So I would ask you, as we see Jesus doing here, do you have a time of day when this happens? What's your time of day? All kinds of varieties. We're not restricted to a time of day. You don't... Well, of course, it's more godly early in the morning because that's what Jesus did, right? <laughs> that's just a joke, okay? You're not required to get up before the sun, and and but you you should get up or set aside some time because your 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 calling as a husband depends on your private uh, activity, your your quiet communion with Jesus Christ. So there. There should be a time, and and pick that time, settle on that time. You know, if you're a a mom with young children, that time's going to be all over the place, and and the length of that time is going to vary. And, hey, we understand that. Um, I always tried to do it in the morning, but Keegan would wake up at, you know, practically anything. If I clinked my coffee mug pulling it out out of the cabinet, Keegan was awake. And, and so there, you know, uh, there went my time alone with the Lord. There are seasons of life where this is immensely difficult. Is there a place you go to in your apartment or your home? Do you have a chair? Do you have a spot out in the backyard? Where do you go to be isolated, to be alone? You know, again, mine's early in the day because nobody else is awake. Um, Once I take care of the dog, I've I've got my time to myself and can be alone. And and my place is my recliner, where I sit nearly every morning of the week to be alone with Christ. Uh, The time of day, the place, you need to decide. And your needs and questions need to come into this. To present them before Him. The, the thing going on with your kid, or the question you have about um, your work. We come to this place in quiet communion with Christ to bring those things to him and hold them up. And also in this time, we wait for him to answer us through his word. We listen to what he has to say to us and and through the counsel of other mature Christians. And so just by way of practical application, what time, what time and what place and are you bringing your needs and questions and, 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 and are you waiting for his answers? the earliest converts to to Christianity were very earnest and dedicated in their time alone with the Lord. And each each one of these Africans reportedly had a separate spot in the thicket near their village. Uh, And they would go there. That was their place where they would go to pour out their heart to God. And, And over time you could see that these places these the paths to these places became well worn and you could see where the different people chose to pray in that thicket and if if someone began to to neglect their time it was soon apparent to everyone else and they would kindly remind that that brother or that sister saying, brother, the grass grows on your path because they hadn't been walking it to be alone. So does the grass grow on your path? I, I I some of you I think are are I can see the bubble above your head and you're just saying, well duh. You know, this is so basic. Um This is so basic. And do you think I need to hear this again? Well, apparently so, because here it is in our text. Apparently, we do need to hear it again. We have this stellar picture of Christ prioritizing His quiet communion with the Father And and by nature, we are all prone to let the grass grow. To begin to think we're okay and to let it slip and and sleep in a couple days. And before you know it, there's new sprouts on the path. Friend, does the grass grow on your path? I encourage you to wear it down again to ruthlessly pursue, uh, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life to pursue that quiet communion because your success as a follower of Christ absolutely depends on it. Jesus, we ask this morning that you would enable us by your good spirit who indwells us, quicken us with your grace to carry this out, not because oh we feel this overwhelming weight that we have to but Christ it's because we meet you there that you await us in that place through your word I pray that you would strengthen each one of us father no matter what station of life we're in whether we have plenty of time or whether we have barely any time to carve this out just as you did savior oh we so desperately need to be with you please show us afresh how vital this is to life with you savior we ask these things in your name not